I just hate the tone that, or the lens that's automatically put on people of color that are elected to office. Other non-electeds of color get this honeymoon period, right? But, you know, we're not afforded that opportunity. But to already start that rumor mill, I think is really disappointing. Um, And it does a great disservice to other people of color that are thinking about running for office. Good morning. This is Epicenter NYC. We connect our communities to news, information, and each other. I'm Andrea Pineda Salgado. On June 22nd, New York City's primary election took place. It was also the first time the city used a ranked-choice voting system. And because of term limits, 35 out of 51 city council seats will have somebody new in them. While it took a little while to learn the results, what's becoming clear is that New York City's next city council will likely be more diverse than ever. Today, Epicenter's Mitra Kalita speaks with Jalissa Ferraris Copeland, a former city council member for the 21st District. Jalissa was also the first woman, the first person of color, and the youngest person to serve as chairman of the finance committee. And she also talks to Ali Najmi, a lawyer who was previously the legislative director to a New York City council member. Ali helped author legislation protecting civil rights and religious freedom during his time working with the city council. These conversations shine a light on how the results reflect the city's changing priorities. Before we begin, a quick message from our friends and sponsors at McKinsey & Company. Breathless to voice what gasoline is to a car. You know, if you have no gas in your car, your car goes nowhere. The same thing holds true for the voice. That's Denise Woods, author and esteemed voice and dialect coach. She's featured in McKinsey & Company's newsletter, The Shortlist. The Shortlist is a weekly curated sampling of McKinsey's need-to-know stories about work, the economy, and culture. If you don't breathe, you have no voice. For more of our best ideas, quick and curated, check out the shortlist at mckinsey.com forward slash shortlist. That's mckinsey.com forward slash shortlist. And thanks. Now, back to the show. Here's Mitra and Jalissa. Did any results from this week surprise you? Yes, the the Queensboro president race surprised me. I didn't think that that race was going to be so close again. Many people could believe that the original race or the the special election was a close race also with Donovan, but I wasn't expecting it to get so close that, you know, Elizabeth Carley still hasn't said he's the winner, right? Um, So that one was shocking. The mayoral race, I think, I saw the, the writing on the wall pretty close to the election, right? I think that regardless of where, of who you supported and what you believed and whom you believe should be in City Hall. Um, they ran a campaign that was interesting, right? They, they didn't spend a lot of money. They kind of did it slow and started galvanizing all the support. I also think that what was helpful to him towards the end was the uptick in crime, where people started to connect with perhaps we need someone who has law enforcement experience. I think Also, what happens in that case is it shouldn't be the only thing, right? I think as community leaders and as activists and as elected officials that are in office now that will be working with him, that are the, you know, the balance to government and city hall. So all these council members have to now really set their priorities in collaboration with the mayor, but also 
to be the counterweight to some of the policies that we may be seeing coming out of this administration. It's so interesting because the three races you just depicted tell a story of so many different cities, right? So I guess I'm just wondering how, in your experience, clearly people are voting across ideology. Right. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about New Yorkers and why that might be? I mean, I think people forget that New York has had a Republican mayor, right? Um, you would think that a lot of our, if you look at our policies and how progressive New York can be, you, would, you wouldn't think that we've ever elected a Republican, right? And I think that it shows that while most of the city council members will be Democrat, right? So people will vote for their local elected, will vote their values, but sometimes for the mayor's seat, they want this, they want experience or whatever it is that that campaign is kind of introducing into the conversation. New Yorkers are as diverse in their political views, I think, in many cases, as a diversity that we bring. People forget that we have, you know, we, especially when it comes to the immigrant population, and I'll speak about the Latino experience, right? There's a big difference between first generation born, third generation, and newly arrived, and that you just became a United States citizen, right? I want to ask you, you were the first Latina city councilwoman, is that correct? I was. I was the first Latina elected in the borough of Queens. When I first got elected, I, I believe I was the only Latina in the delegation. I represented the entire Latino population of Queens in the Queen's delegation for um, the city council. And since your election, which of course you've since left the council, mm-hmm. but we have seen Jessica Ramos, Catalina Cruz, Jessica Gonzalez Rojas. We're about to send our first South Asian to city council and Shaker Krishnan. So this is an area that is quite remarkable in just in the last five years, how much has changed. Um, you were a pioneer, I would say, in that. So I just wonder, as you're watching this, what you're thinking. Well, I'm incredibly proud, honestly, because when you're the first, you definitely don't want to be the last. I am really, really excited to have helped, you know, in, in those campaigns, but also that people feel that they, we're going in the right direction, right? So I just feel that it, at the time, I, there was also Jose Peralta and Francisco Moya. Um, so there were, there were other Latinos, but as a woman, I felt that it's so important to have that woman's voice at the table. But also it was great to see Catalina supporting Shaker, right? Because it also says it's our, it, we're stronger in our diversity. So it's not about Latinos keeping Latinos in power. It's about us as a diverse group you know, empowering people of color because we need everyone's voice at the table and it makes such a difference. So I I just think that as I look back, I just, I'm really proud of Queens. I'm really proud of New York. And I guess, you know, this is what, we have these beautiful things happening and powerful things, right? Happening in our area, right? And so I think that, that there is something to be said about Queens being more reflective of their electeds on our, in our piece of, in our neck of the woods. It's interesting because if you take what you're describing in the borough president's race, it might explain a candidate like Eric Adams and his ascension, which is you get, I'm being super simplistic, right? but an African-American cop who has experienced police brutality to the voter you're describing who 
is progressive on race and identity, but also maybe to your point, bought their home and is worried about crime. You know, maybe this is the nuanced candidate that represents multiple interests. I think you make a, a valid point, right? Usually people want to find that diversity in one person. But what the New York voter is doing is saying, okay, this is the municipal government. So maybe I can create the government to be diverse as opposed to finding one person, like this unicorn that's gonna represent all my interests. I can elect a council member that views and, and has my values in this way, but I also can elect a mayor that can help me feel safe. And he's obviously more than just safety, but I just think that his police background was really um, ramped up especially because of the numbers in crime. And I mean, they're real. People don't feel safe getting on the train, especially women that come home alone where they never thought that would be a problem in the past. Kind of reminded me when I was young, right? Like you put your key in between your fingers like that. But like you start thinking differently. You, you know, you don't walk home alone um, as opposed to a few years ago where crime was down and it was down with a progressive mayor, right? So I think we, we can't forget that moment in history also. What about coverage of Eric Adams? I've already started hearing from a few reporters saying, oh, he's corrupt, he's shady. You know, there's a lot of language being used and yet he will be likely the second African-American mayor in the history of New York. And so I will confess I'm already discomforted by some of that. And yet it's coming from a place of trying to hold power to account. What, what do you think the rules are for coverage and our perspective on Eric Adams? I think that is incredibly unfair, right? He has been an elected official. He was a New York state senator. He was a borough president. And I just hate the tone that, or the lens that's automatically put on people of color that are elected to office. And I think it is really unfair. Other non-electeds of color get this honeymoon period, right? But, you know, we're not afforded that opportunity as elected officials of color. And I think that the reporting should be fair and balanced. But to already start that rumor mill, I think is really disappointing. Um, and it does a great disservice to other people of color that are thinking about running for office. We've been grappling with kind of the path forward just because we've seen, we, we did a pop-up election newsletter. We saw record interest in it. It kind of outperformed just for those few weeks, our other newsletter. And so it's clearly an area of interest and we've tried to cover it to your point from the ground up. But as you also know, the New York press corps is not the most diverse pool right. of journalists. And so we, you know, we've wondered what our role there might be. So this, this, is, this is actually really helpful. Now, Mitra and Ali dive into the role that Law & Order played in the mayoral primary and how that may have affected how people voted for their city council officials. What surprised you out of the New York City primary? I think that local council races were provided more surprises than anything citywide. In my own local council district, I was so happy to see Jocelyn Kaur perform so well in a district that everybody thought she could not perform well in with such a leftist message. An Indian Punjabi young woman, people just thought that demographically and ideologically, she would not succeed in this district. And she was a wild success. And I supported her from the beginning. It's a seat that I ran for as well. And 
she's continuing this sort of effort to bring progressive politics to Eastern Queens. I think you, more than any other person I follow, seem to understand what it meant for a South Asian person to finally enter city council. Can you talk a little bit about that? We've increased our representation potentially like 300%, so it's like crazy. It feels good. It's the most diverse council it's going to be. You know, it's an opportunity for this community to really have a direct seat at the table, a direct seat at the budget. And we have finally made it. What do you make of the surge of Bangladeshi candidates in New York City right now? It's, It's quite remarkable. The South Asian mosaic of New York City is Bangladeshi and Guyanese. And so the Bangladeshi community is exploding and it makes sense that there's so many of their candidates. So the other area I wanted to talk to you about was the role of law and order, both in this election as well as as a voting issue. Tell me what you're thinking. There was a big debate that I had with some people about what would be the main issue in this election. And I said, it's going to be public safety. And it's going to be people wanting an, an answer to an increase in shootings, clearly. And people disagreed. They said it's going to be about COVID recovery. And really, if you look at the results of the mayor's race, the two most moderate candidates finished first and second, and neither of them support defund the police, and people don't want to vote for defunding the police. In certain local districts, that may have been what what led to some people not winning. In, in my district, there was a lot of negative mail sent against Jocelyn Kaur, saying that she supports you from the police and she's a socialist and all these other things. And it probably had some effect. And it's not clear that anybody, you know, really in New York City majority of voters wants to see a defunding of the police. I think at the end of the day, the history of politics has always sort of revolved around a boogeyman. And, 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 and here you don't just have a boogeyman, you do have a real issue of gun violence. But, you know, the easiest way to make people vote is to scare them. Wow. So you think that In the end, they voted on the issue of crime. You know, what's interesting about that is you have people who voted for Eric Adams and voted for a very lefty council person. And so it's not like ideological, I think. I think there's no like resounding rejection of the left. But people want somebody that can deal with the gun violence and that knows the streets and knows the police and knows everything about the police, the good, the bad, the ugly, and can manage it all. And Eric Adams conveyed that message. I think the best reason that people had to vote for Eric was that He was going to be tough on crime and he knew how to be tough on the police, too, because he used to be a cop. And there's no wholesale rejection of the left, because how do you vote for Eric Adams and vote for people like extremely progressive council members when they're very left? So maybe people wanted to balance. Yeah, I guess the other thing is the council members, you know, in in some of our interviews, people would say, well, I voted for this person because I met them on my way to the subway, they seem nice, right? It's not necessarily as ideological as it is the familiar. Right. What about ranked choice voting? How do you think we did? Oh, I think ranked choice voting has been great. I think ranked choice voting made the mayor's race as close as it was, actually. If you didn't want Eric Adams to succeed, it only got as close because of ranked choice voting. Before I let you go, what are some issues you think will come forward in a more lefty, women, people of color, progressive city council? And what does that mean for an Eric Adams as mayor, right? Are those two things going to butt heads? I think that, you know, driver pay in the Uber Lyft space is going to be coming up. It's more of a state issue, I think. It's also a city issue. The city has passed a law to create like a a minimum wage for app-based drivers. There's a lot of talk about delivery workers as well. 
So I think issues around the gig economy are going to come up. And I think that we need a mayor that's going to stand with the drivers and not with the companies. You know, another big issue, I think, especially for South Asian community and immigrant community is going to be senior services and senior centers and making sure that the Department of the Aging puts money into services for seniors that can speak other languages and can serve this population. And there's going to be a big fight around policing. There's just a fundamental disagreement, I think, between a lot of members and then the mayor. And so those things are going to be the three things I'm looking at. This is out of left field, and that's why it makes it more fun. Uh, What's your favorite New York City sound? That chopping sound you hear at the halal cart when they're chopping up your chicken. (laughs) It's not over. The general election is coming up on November 2nd. To stay in the loop, visit us at epicenter-nyc.com. Don't forget to check out our election-based newsletter. Next, we're sharing a story from one of our neighbors, like you. Today, we're reintroducing to you politics journalist Felipe de Laos. You may remember Felipe from our episode about rank choice voting. Outside of working with us at Epicenter, Felipe runs a weekly immigration policy-focused newsletter called Borderlines. He's a former reporter for Documented and has written for The New Republic, The Intercept, The Washington Post, The Daily Beast, The Village Voice, and many other publications. To kick off, he'll discuss the historic takeaways from this season's primary elections. One big takeaway from the primary, I think, is the sort of the biggest takeaway of them all being that we had our first ranked choice election. Obviously, that was always going to happen, and we saw most of the races more or less pan out in the way that we would expect, i.e. the person who was leading at first ended up winning. But we did see also some kind of unexpected things that happened as a result of this new system. For example, there were at least a couple of city council races where a candidate who was winning in the first round of voting ended up losing the election to somebody else, which is something that obviously wouldn't really happen in a straight, you know, up and down election. And we saw people forming coalitions in a way that we don't really see in other types of elections. And so the the fact of it having been ranked choice probably didn't fundamentally affect the majority of races, but there are certainly races that took place where we saw dynamics or results even that we wouldn't necessarily have expected in a different type of system. So that was interesting. I first began reporting on politics in New York City, Actually, when I was still in college at NYU, um, I began freelancing for the Village Voice uh, around, you know, I think I did my first piece around 2015. I I was also, uh, you know, involved with a couple of other publications, AM New York and the New York Observer and Gotham Gazette during my undergraduate career. And, you know, I always knew that I wanted to do journalism and being in the city and having access to sort of all types of outlets and all types of reporting, it was sort of a natural fit to start reporting on the city and on politics in the city. And in particular, you know, as I was a political science dual major, and it's always interested me to kind of examine some of the less less discussed aspects of, of sort of political life in a metropolis like this. I have not always lived in New York City, so I moved here almost eight years ago now, in August of 2013. I moved here for to go to school at NYU, and 
you know, I mean, I kind of grew up all over the place bouncing around. So for me, uh, you know, New York City has definitely always felt like home, you know, since I didn't really have much of a hometown. I, I kind of got to choose one and I, you know, I feel very at ease here. You know, one thing I really like is that the whole city that never sleeps thing is kind of a, a cliche. But I think we can actually expand that to say that, you know, not only can you sort of do things at any time of day in the city, but there are just distinctly kind of separate experiences that you can have depending on the on, on the time of day, right? You know, this is a city where you can, you know, sort of leave your apartment at 9 a.m. and return to your apartment at 9 a.m. the next day if you want, and you can have done all sorts of different things throughout that time, and, and the types of things that you can sort of do just shift depending on, on, on what time of day it is, right? You can do certain things at 10 a.m. that you can't do uh, later on. And so it's, I think it's very, um, you know, I've always kind of enjoyed that aspect of things. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in. We encourage you to check out Felipe's full piece on the primary results. We've linked to it in our show notes. Felipe's newsletter was written for URL Media, a network of black and brown news and information outlets. And our collaborative elections coverage is sponsored by a grant for the Center for Cooperative Media. Our intro music is All the Pretty Horses by Karavika. You can find more of their music on their website, linked to in our podcast description. <laughs>